Amen. So proud of Rachel and the many others we've sent out lately. It's like the last three months has been like a send out quarter. Um, and so we're trying to keep it going here. But, but you know, just as, as Elizabeth shared, that is our desire um, to be a people who uh, are committed to the transformation of towns and nations. And that's a really big statement, but just to boil it down, what it really means is that us as individuals and as couples and as families decide to walk the narrow road, which is the Jesus road, and to take the opportunities we have that come every week to just love the next person in front of us to disciple the next person, to extend forgiveness, to care for someone in a time of need or a crisis. And as we will do that, just as Jesus modeled, remember, he just went town to town touching ones and twos, speaking to the masses, but then he was healing the sick and sharing good news and giving hope to people that didn't have it and restoring sight to the blind and giving clarity as to who God is and what he's all about and that's really us. That's us as a church. It's, it's not just Rachel going to Southeast Asia. It's you, wherever you are, if it's here in Brian Cull Station for a long time or for a short time, but taking advantage of every week and every day just to be a disciple of Jesus. And if you do that, then you really are part of transformation in people's hearts. Amen? That's, that's what we're going for here at Antioch. All right. Well, um, good morning, church. It's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Interesting year, actually. I um, think we could all say that. I think I come up with a new term for 2020 every week. I'm not even sure all the terms I've given it. Um, you may be with me there. But I, I just want to start out. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to talk about hope. And just a message of hope this morning and really biblical hope and what that is. But before I do that, I just want to just obviously just share a couple of things to speak into the moment where we are as a nation. Um, obviously, um, in the midst of an election, and I just want to remind us again, it's like elections, there are so many people that are involved in elections from a local, state, federal level. And, you know, I think that, that the desire of people is to be in a position to influence and make decisions shaped off of their convictions and what they think is best for the people they represent. Amen? That's the desire, I think, of anyone who's running for office or if you're on the local school board um, or whatever it is you do. If you hold any sort of, even if you're the president of the HOA in your subdivision, that the desire is, hey, how can I make decisions that are best for the environment, for the neighborhood, for the people? And again, as I, as I shared last week, um, Jesus isn't running for office, unfortunately, and he would be the best candidate everywhere. Um, and so I'm pretty sure there will never be someone who is Jesus or even close to him ever running for office, never has been the history of America, never will be. But where we live right now is that we need to acknowledge that we are in a nation um, that has half of the nation uh, probably is waking up today very excited, and half the nation's waking up not really sure what they think, either discouraged or kind of somewhere in the middle. And I think just like in 2016, that was the case as well. In 2012 and 2008, that actually happens every four years. <laughs> just in case we all forget, I'm only 37. 
but every four years, it's the most historic election ever. <laughs> uh, you go back and run the tape. It's like all the, it's every four years, this has never happened before, right? It's, it's earth shattering. It, no, it's not. It's another election and people will be in office and people will make decisions that you agree or disagree with. But here's what I want to share with us as followers of Jesus. Um, people in our country have very strong opinions and very strong convictions that they may or may not have expressed when they voted. And it seems because of the social media and because of the connectivity we have as a culture, because now we're kind of looped in to all the extremes and the middle ground, right? And so everyone has access to all the extremes on either side of any issue. Um, and usually those extremes are the loudest, right? Someone shared with me years ago, they said, just remember that in American society and American politics, it's usually the extreme 10% on either side, try to control the 80, right? So the extreme 10% of any issue or policy or party is the loudest and maybe yields the most power or influence or is the most dynamic people, and therefore they try to control or win over, maybe a nicer word, win over the 80%, right? So just remember... <clears throat> That that is our nation. Whether you like it or not, that's kind of the way that things are. So for us, the people, how do we respond to a time like this where there's, um, uh, where there's a, a bunch of sides, so to speak, right? I think for us, uh, what I was praying about this morning is, Lord, what, how do we speak into this? I think the Lord was highlighting to me that, that the goal for us as believers is to seek to understand one another not necessarily to agree with each other. Does it make any sense? So I think society may tell you, or maybe people may be told you, you have to agree in order to be loving. That's actually not true. Love does not mean you agree. Um, love is actually unconditional, which means to actually love someone without them loving you back, that is love. Right? To actually love your enemy, that actually is love. Not only loving people that are nice to you. I think somewhere in the scriptures it says essentially to only love people that love you back, that's like easy. Anyone can do that. Even the pagans can do that, right? But to love someone that maybe doesn't agree with you, that's actually real love. Do you understand? So as the church, our response in this hour and next week and next month and four years from now and eight years from now and 12 years from now, if you're calculating all the different elections, is that our desire as a people of God is to pursue understanding one another and other people so that we can better love them. It does not mean you have to agree with them. It means that you do need to make the attempts to understand. Does it make sense? And maybe in the year of 2020, that may have been highlighted for us as a nation on a variety of issues saying, hey, we really got to step up our game as a people to not get stuck on our corners, Right? And kind of box it out, but to say, hold on, can we meet in the middle and talk? And meeting, meeting up for coffee and talking about different things doesn't mean that you're wrong or off. Actually, I would encourage us to spend time with people that are not like us, whether it's on a political deal, whether it's on a racial thing, 
whether it's on an ideology, whether it's on whatever, meet up with people and get to know where they're coming from. Get to know other believers who go to other churches to part different denominations, right? Instead of us maybe judging them, saying, hey, where are you coming from? Share with me your story. Because this is, there's a lot in here. And obviously over, you know, uh, uh, 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth and the scriptures were put together and, and, and over the last several hundred years, denominations have split over an interpretation of something, right? Entire whole denominations are split over things. And I would say, I, I think that God's desire is that the people of God lean into him for being the main source, lean into the word of God and to maybe quit squabbling over the stuff that's not as big of a deal. Does it make any sense? So that's really all I want to share this morning is that I think for us in this hour moving forward is that our desire as a people is to seek to understand one another. And that is what's loving um, for us to do with the people in our country. Amen? All right. Well, um, you know, when it comes to the idea of hope, um, depending on the week, and again, we can take this year, there's some weeks I think that some of us were very hopeful, right? And in some weeks, very downtrodden, right? Like for you, um, let's say you're a college student at Texas A&M, and you're rounding out your spring break, and you're thinking, man, okay, spring break's been great. I'm ready to roll back into class and finish up my senior year, right? And then you get a text, I think on that Thursday or Friday, hey, uh, we're going to delay campus for a couple days and then it's hey we're gonna come back in a week and then it's we're canceled for the rest of the semester right so you could have gone from like oh I got this great project or I'm excited about this and do, 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 do. right and so maybe your hope is a little bit in hey I want things to be normal right if you're uh if you're a pro athlete a college athlete a high school athlete right um this year may have been challenging for you, right? I think if you follow college football, I think that the Pac-12 just started playing their first games yesterday, right? So it's like Oregon, Washington, USC. And so here's players that have been preparing all spring, all summer, been waiting six, eight months, and they get to play their first game yesterday, like in November, right? That's like never happened before. So they've probably had a bit of a journey, right? Politically, there's been the journey of people excited or filled with hope and then kind of discouraged. Or you can just look at business or jobs. I know some of you had a job and then you got let go in the last six or eight months because they said, uh, we're letting everybody go or no one's coming to our shop or actually we're having to close our business down, right? There's so much of that going on. So I think hope has maybe been a word we've thrown around or we've thought of. You know, in, um, in football, we can think about the idea of of hope in a sense that one team's trying to break the will, right? Or to break the hope in the other team. Um, which means that the other team, no matter how hard they try, how much effort they give, they just can't keep anything going, right? I caught some of the A&M game last night. I'm pretty sure in a decade, that's like the, the most dominant win we've ever had. Because um, usually we get dominated like that in the past. But not last night, baby. Felt great. So if you're not an A&M fan, that's okay. Just pretend just for a minute. Um, but, man, I think we won 48 to 3. And so in football, that's like, that's like dominant, you know. And I'm watching some of the game, and you're know, watching South Carolina, and it's like they just can't 
get it going. Like they had opportunities, they couldn't get it going. And you see at some point in the game, they just feel so defeated. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you're down 40 points, you're like, come on, man. I mean, you just can't the game be over, right? Like when I play soccer, we had a few of those games. I was on the receiving end of the like 7-0 loss in a tournament. And you like drove the Dallas for the weekend. It's Sunday morning and you're playing the first seed and you're just like, Seven, I mean, seven, seven, zero in soccer is like 60 to zero in football. It's just, it's embarrassing, okay? And you just hang your head low and just say, Mom, let's go get drive through pizza. I mean, just, just, I'm going to eat my feelings, you know? That's what we do, right? We're just, let me eat and just forget about it, you know? And so, you know, I'm watching this game last night and I'm like, wow, that, they literally broke their will to even keep fighting. Right? In a span of a couple hours. They just, boom, just, oh, you just feel so defeated. And so this morning, listen, you may be at your best. Um, you may be feeling great about life, about God, about everything. You may be feeling terrible. I don't really know where you are this morning. Um, but the Lord highlighted to me that we do need to be reminded of our true source of hope today. And, you know, ordinarily, when we use the word hope, we express uncertainty rather than certainty, right? So a, a, a couple of statements, maybe. I hope daddy gets home early tonight means I don't have any certainty that daddy will get home on time. I only desire that he does. Maybe another one. Our hope is that Bob will arrive safely. That means that we don't know if he will or not, but that is our desire. One more. There being no traffic on the highway is our only hope of arriving on time. Means no traffic would bring us to our desired goal, but we can't be sure there won't be any traffic. More or less, usually we think in terms of uncertainty, certainty when it comes to hope. Meaning there are other factors and circumstances associated with that hope, right? And so we're hoping in these other circumstances that come through in order for that desire to really be fulfilled. And so usually when we express hope, we're expressing uncertainty. But this is not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope. So listen, the main thing I want you guys to hear me share this morning is this. <clears throat> biblical hope I'll define as this. A confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. A confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Now let's go to Romans chapter 5 where Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Rome. Romans 5 verse 3 through 5. He says, <clears throat> not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, Paul is describing the reasoning behind his statement, which he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Which if we just pause for a moment, and you say that to somebody in the street, they think you're crazy. Oh man, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. They're like, what? That does not, that doesn't make logical sense. Okay, at all. But Paul's explaining his 
reasoning, right? He's saying that these trials we experience really produce a step-by-step transformation that makes believers more like Christ. There's a step-by-step transformation process happening when we rejoice in our sufferings. And I'll say when we rejoice in our sufferings, not just suffering, right? You can't just like, oh, beat me up. Just, I don't want to eat for 10 days. Or, or you know, it's like, it's like the old days when the monks would like literally like beat themselves in these kind of weird monasteries to try to suffer with Christ, you know, and they would do these things. And you're thinking, what? Like in the, in the middle dark ages? And, and, and the reality is it's not about you doing self-inflicting wounds on yourself. It's about when you are suffering, you then have the attitude and the mindset to then rejoice because not, it's not that you're rejoicing in the suffering itself. You're rejoicing in what this process will produce in you to make you more like Christ, which means it's not rejoicing in that moment of suffering. Does that make sense? It's not like, wow, this, is, this feels great. Right? No, it doesn't feel great. But if you look forward with a confident expectation, all of a sudden you can endure. It's so what you say. He says suffering produces endurance. Right? Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. So suffering, then endurance... Endurance to character and character to hope. And you know what it says about hope? It says hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul is saying you can rejoice in your sufferings when you know And you've received the love of God through the Holy Spirit who is with you. Then guess what? When the suffering comes, you can rejoice. Because your hope is not fixed on that moment. Your hope is fixed on something down the road. Your hope is fixed on something that you've already obtained and inherited. Yet part of the process is the enduring that then builds you up and matures you. Right? If you think about a little baby, right? Um, a child is born. I've never met a two-day-old baby who's walking. That might freak me out, honestly. Um, so there are no, there's no two-day-olds that walk. Um, now, in the wisdom of God, he's made children go through a process. And oftentimes in Scripture, it talks to us as children, have childlike faith, be adopted as sons and daughters, be, be like childlike minded, right? And so you think about a little baby, they are born and they have to go through a process of development, which means they not only have to learn a bunch of other things, but in terms of their mobilization, they usually just um, lay there, right? That's step one. It's just like, there's not a lot going on, okay? Maybe an arm moving around a little bit. Step two is, oh, they're able to move their neck around and maybe they're able to kick their legs a little bit. Step three is then, and parents get excited about this, when they can sit up without tumping over, right? 
I mean, that's like classic. It's like, you know, if you don't know that, when you have kids one day, just get ready for the sit-up. And it's like, oh, he's there, and then he just tumps over. Well, and it's so cute. You know, everyone puts pillows around him. You know, you want to be safe. They're fine, by the way. They're only falling like four inches, okay? But, but it's, the, it's like they're sitting up, and it's, look at this. They're sitting up. We're so excited, right? But then they go from this sitting up thing into maybe now they got the tummy time thing going, They can flip over. That's pretty cool. There's so many steps leading up to the crawling. The crawling, now we're moving. Now it's something's going on. Now you're putting those latches on the cabinets and stuff. I know. And you're like, oh, my gosh, there's breakable things from a wedding. Move them up higher, you know. And so that's what happens. And then they get in eventually walking to a couple steps, and it's so fun. They walk, and it looks so goofy. And then they eventually start kind of speed walking. And then one day they run, they eat it several times, and they cry, you know. And you're like, oh, my gosh, they should never run again. It's like, no, they need to run. They need to develop, you know. But, like, learning how to walk and run, there is a bit of a process there that does inflict some pain. Right? And so there's actually pain on the parents in watching the child. Because what you want to do is just like, like just protect them. Like pillows, we're, we're going to make everything rubber in our house, you know, so ne- little Johnny will never get hurt. You know, it's like we're never going to walk on concrete. You know, it's like, no, you need to walk on concrete. You know what I'm saying? But we want to, as a parent, it's kind of pains you to watch it, but you know, you know they're going to get there. You know it's going to happen. And I love how people sometimes, well, I don't really love it. It's, um, how do I say this? Uh, parents can get a little uptight about charting their child's development on walking. Okay? Um, and so what, what I know is that eventually they're going to walk. You know, it may be a little later than you had hoped, or maybe you have four kids and this one's sort of walk. I think it's going to be okay. Like, but we get a little uptight because when they hit that number, it's like, oh, no, it's nine months. What's wrong with them? <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. Uh, uh, they're going to be fine, you know? But we can get a little uptight, right? And so, but there, there, there's, there's a process to it. Why am I saying all this? Because what I want us to acknowledge is that part of getting to this place of hope is that we have to go through a process, which, by the way, God looks at and he sees us going through it. And he's not pulling you out of the suffering. Say, like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't suffer. Because he knows if you don't go through the process, suffering, endurance, character, you'll never get to this place of hope. That's right. Come on, you will never get to confident expectation. You'll be stuck here and you'll cycle and you'll always be a kid who walks on grass. And can't ever get to the concrete. And can't ever jump around the rocks. Because you were pulled out, right? The sufferings. Oh, just make it go away. Guys, that's not the way you get to hope. Pretty sure Paul suffered a great deal, even up to this point in his life. He's speaking from experience. So with Romans 5 in mind, let's think about this idea of confident expectation. So let's talk about my marriage just for a minute. Um, I have a strong certainty that Ashley and I are going to stay married to each other to the end of our days, right? Now, this is based on the character of our wills and on the promises of God, which are really just expressions of the character of God's will in our lives. You see, we have almost 15 years 
of evidence about the nature of our commitments to one another. We have 15 years worth that we're going to continue to trust and commit and believe the best about each other. But we get that from seeing the nature of God and experiencing God's nature and love towards us. I'm not committed to my wife just because she's beautiful or fun or whatever, because she's the mother of my kids. It's not just because of these circumstantial things, right? I'm committed to her. One, I made a covenant to her the day we got married, which I hold very dearly. And I've said this before, but I make a covenant with my God through Jesus Christ. I make a covenant with my wife, and I've got some sort of covenant, indirect covenant with my kids because they're my kids, right? That, that's, that's the covenants I've got on planet Earth. But what I want you to consider is that for us as husband and wife, because we have committed to one another and we've lived life together and we've actually gone through some sufferings, we've gone through some endurance, we've been tested in our character, we have this confident expectation called hope that we will remain married to the end of our days. It doesn't mean things won't tempt us, test us, come against us from the outside or from our own doing that may try to come against that. But we are confident that we will remain married. And so therefore, we don't say things like, we hope we don't get divorced. You won't hear that phrasing out of us. Do you know why? Because it's not an option. Because things are optional when you're not confident. Right? Um, like, if you go into a job interview, I mean, I'm, I'm like, hey, just to help us here, like, you need to go in with, like, confidence. And, and whether it's that job or another job, you need to go in, hey, no, no, my God's going to provide a job for me, but I've got to partner with him and coming in with a confident expectation that I'm going to get a great job. Versus, well, I don't know, I don't know, it's, no one's calling me back, or, well, call them. If you're confident you're the right person for the job, you keep calling and you keep knocking until they literally lock the door and change the keys on you and you can't, then you go somewhere else and you keep going. But you're confident that God will provide a way for you to have a job, right? In my marriage, I'm confident no matter what happens that we will stick together to the end of our days even though we've had some very down moments in our marriage. It's not been all peachy. But my hope is not based on the circumstances in that moment. Do you understand? Romans 8, through 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And here's what you see in verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We read it again, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, I looked this up this week, 
And this is an interesting little nuance here we need to catch. The definition in the English word translation of hope includes a level of uncertainty. Right? So you look up at Webster's, you're going to see there's, there's an element, there's a level of uncertainty built in, baked in to the word hope in the English language. But in the New Testament, word hope and the translation in the Greek contains no uncertainty. Zero. There is no uncertainty when you read the word hope and the New Testament. It speaks of something certain, not yet realized. Right? Hope and the New Testament speaks of something certain, yet not realized. As in what this scripture is speaking to, which is our hope and our salvation, adoptions as sons and daughters from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't really see that. Right? But you believe. It's not all those, it's, it's those who have faith. Those who believe that is where this hope comes from. I love what Matthew Henry in his commentary says about this. He said, believers have been brought into a state of safety, but their comfort consists rather in hope than in enjoyment. From this hope, they can be turned by the vain expectation of finding satisfaction in the things of time and sense. He says, we need patience. Our way is rough and long, but he that shall come will come, though he seems to tarry. His point being, if we put our hope in our current circumstances, if our hope is wavering on a decision, on an outcome, on a job, on a relationship, on getting pregnant or not, on this going away or not, that hope is an English word, American word of hope, which is there's a level of uncertainty but a biblical hope is no uncertainty. It is clear, even though you can't see it. Right? It is clear. It is that confident expectation. Jesus is king. He is returning. He has it under control. I cannot see what he's doing in Iran right now, but he's moving. I do not understand what he's really doing in China right now, but I know he's present. I do not get what he's doing in Mecca and Saudi Arabia right now, but I know that there are believers who have been baptized in that nation. I do not know what he's doing in America right now. Has Jesus gone asleep? <clears throat> no. Amen. He's here. He's here. But Jesus is at work. But it requires you to engage with him. Or else he's going to work and you'll miss it. Right? We don't want to miss it, church. We don't want to put our hope in the things of this world. We engage in this world? Yes. We don't sit by. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Him. It's a confident expectation in Him. You see, biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. Like, I hope Daddy comes home, or I hope I get this job, or I hope I don't have any traffic. That's not what it is. It's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. It's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. You see, when the, when the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers and hope for the best. 
It means expect great things from God. Right? Like hope in God is not like, you going to come through for me, buddy? That's not what we're doing. It's a, it's a expect great things from him. Because our God is great. What's the song you sing? Our God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Why do we sing that? When do you start singing that song again, by the way? Let's put that on a billboard. Just some kids doing this and, you know. Our God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's not just a good sing-along. It's truth. It's truth. It's founded in scriptures. Here's the last verse I want to read to us this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we close this morning. <clears throat> in Romans 15, 12 through 13. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm going to read it again. Taken from Isaiah chapter 11. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do you see it? God is the source of eternal hope. God is the source of life. God is the source of salvation. And he's inviting us in again in a fresh way this morning and this hour to have a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. I want us to stand this morning. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for that hope, for that biblical hope. We're going to pray for that confident expectation to be put into us. And like I said, it's not that we don't engage with the issues in our world, right? Rachel's being sent out to go take on the sex trafficking atrocities in Southeast, in, uh, Southeast Asia. That, that's where she's going. We have people all over this country right now that are meeting together at church right now that are being stirred and saying, okay, what can we do to love people in our country? What can we do to love my neighbor? How can we right wrongs or how can we have a path forward for people, right? Like, like the whole idea of the gospel being good news, it hasn't changed because of the days we live in. It is the same. What's changed is us and our desire to engage with it or not, right? Like good news by definition is hope, (laughs) but this isn't news that comes and goes. This good news has actually been around for 2,000 years. It was prophesied for 1,000 years before it came, and his name is Jesus. The good news is Jesus, the good news of the hope. And so when we say our hope is found in him, It's because we can say we have a confident expectation. 
and desire for something good in the future associated with Jesus. Jesus has already come, so we need to make sure people around the world hear about the first coming of Jesus before we keep talking about the second one. The second coming will be too late, just so you know. It's too late. When Jesus comes again, it's too late. People need to know he already came. He's real. He's available to anybody, anywhere. And Isaiah 11 prophesied it 26, 700 years ago. He said, in him, speaking of Jesus, will the Gentiles hope. Either you're a Jew or Gentile. The majority of us are probably Gentiles. Didn't know if you know that. Wear a shirt or something. I'm a Gentile. (laughs) Um, There's more Gentiles than Jews on planet Earth, just so you know. But he says, in him will the Gentiles hope. Isaiah 11, who was a Jew, who had not met Jesus yet. He was at least five, six hundred years away from coming to planet Earth. And yet this man prophesied from the son of David, from the root of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, from David, there's going to be a man. Someone's going to come one day, and the Gentiles will hope. And do you think for a second that the, that the Jews of the time reading this prophecy from Isaiah, they thought he was a crack? <laughs> what? The Gentiles? No. You're saying someone coming from the line? Uh, n- no. <laughs> they thought, you're crazy, man. There's no way that's going to work. He comes, and what do you know? Paul, Peter, the disciples, the message starts spreading. It even spreads to a place called Antioch. And in that city, it said they were first called Christians. And that city was the, was the first known church in the New Testament. There was a multi-ethnic, diverse church outside of the gathering in Jerusalem when that day of Pentecost came. It says actually people from different areas came to Antioch. They came there, and then Paul said he heard about it, or Barnabas heard about it, brought Paul to go there, and they spend a year there, and they're teaching and discipling them how to get the good news out, how to disciple people in the ways of God, to quit putting their hope in the things of this world, to hope in him, the eternal hope, and then guess what happened? They started sending them out. They started sending them out, started spreading to Asia, parts of Europe. Eventually, before Paul ever got to Rome, his desires to get there, guess what? Christians are already in Rome. Now, how'd that happen? He hadn't got there yet. There was believers in Rome. They were already in the midst of the Roman Empire, which I think was pretty bad. But somehow, the good news found its way. Guys, the good news is finding its way into every government, every country, every ethnic group on planet Earth right now. And if it ain't there yet, there are people working on it right now. And within the next three to four years, every single ethnic group, every single tribe on planet Earth will have the gospel to them, will have a living witness present, ministering to them. The words are still being translated into their own dialect, their own language right now. The good news and the task of the Great Commission has not changed. Do not put your hope in the things of this world or in A&M or in your career or having a big family. Those are good things. They're not ultimate. Ultimate is putting our hope in Him. 
And he says, my word will remain. I will return, but I'm returning looking for a people that have not wavered. That's my hope this morning. We won't waver. No matter what happens every four years, no matter what you think of all this, if you love it, you hate it, I don't really know. But get centered again on him this morning. I just want to pray for us. Jesus, I ask this morning, you would give us a confident expectation again. Help us to not put our hope in anything but you and your word. Teach us again to know that suffering is okay. As long as we embrace the journey knowing our hope is on the other side of that. So sometimes, Lord, we've got to go through the fire individually or as a family, even as a country. But we believe in you. We trust you. We know your nature isn't changing. You are constant. You are steady. And you're ready for us to just latch on again. Say, Jesus, take us where you're going. Show us what you're doing. So Lord, we pray that this morning. We pray for our nation this morning. We do ask God for the divided hearts. For us in this room, for us in our country, we pray for the states, for the counties, for the nation as a whole, where people have strong feelings and opinions and emotions that are being hurtful, saying things in the midst of their families that they would regret. Lord, I pray. I pray the gospel would go forth in this hour and that true forgiveness would be extended, that real love would be realized, and that hope would be put in you, Jesus. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just worship as we close this morning.